pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. If we're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water, leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice on <laughs> it. I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> When will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Angreement, where Catherine and I bring to you three things each, each week, and then try to tie them all together. We bring you a weird thing. A pop culture thing. And finally, a research thing. And this week, Catherine is up first. So Catherine, what is your weird thing? Okay. I was struggling with my weird thing. And as I was thinking through what it was going to be, saying, I don't have a weird thing. I got a text from you saying, weird things are always the hardest. (laughs) And when we designed this podcast, that was what I was most excited about. And I'd be like, That's going to be easy. And it was for the first few weeks. And then it just got harder and harder. I think the world is getting weirder. Well, because, I mean, something is only weird in, it's only relative, right? Like there's no such thing as something weird for weird's sake. Like it has to be weird in relation to something else. And right now I just don't know what normal is. And so I'm like, well, does that count as a weird thing or is that just a thing? And so, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. I feel like the epitome of it was when I saw the kite and like, that's an alien, but like, that's everything now. It's like, well, who? Everything's an alien. If it is, it is. And there's no weirdness. So my weird thing is also a very joyful thing. Um, you spoke last episode about how you've reached a place where you can't even watch real TV or good prestige TV. You need mindless TV to do tasks to, to have on in the background. Well, friends, have you found yourself so decapitated? Oh, goodness. No, I haven't found myself decapitated enough for bad TV. (laughs) That is not the word I meant. So incapacitated. I mean, if you're decapitated, you're incapacitated. But But pretty permanently. Have you found yourself so incapacitated by life? For any reason that um, even TV like Zoe's infinite playlist, that's too much, too much for your brain, too taxing. If, if you have gotten to that point and I got to that point last week, I have just the thing for you. Oh goodness. What is I have found be? the perfect, if you need to be numbed out, just numbed out in front of a screen. Um, I found a joyful, joyful thing, which is my weird thing. And it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just um, preface this with maybe this is more fun for me. I live in Colorado where certain substances are illegal, and I think they help with this, but not... Not, not, not necessary, just, just a bonus. Just a bonus, which is the fact that um, Amazon Prime, if you have it, and I know there's problems with Amazon, but man, if you have Amazon Prime to watch television shows with, they have a section of just about an hour long. It's basically the same thing as a Yule log where you just watch a log of cute animals. They have puppy party and it's just B-roll footage, stock footage of puppies. They tried to give it a narrative. They're like, hey, this Labrador puppy is having a birthday party. So all his friends are invited, but no, it's just stock footage of puppies. And they only show any one clip for 20 seconds and move on to the next one. So then there's pet party, there's kitten party. There's just a wide variety of things. I do want to warn you if you're in a, in a, um, just a fragile state that pet party goes from like cute kitten to fat tiger to iguana with no rhyme or reason. And so pet, pet party is upper level. You got to work your way up. (laughs) 
start with puppy, advanced start with puppy party so anyway my weird thing which i it's, guess again is not so weird because what can't you get is that amazon prime has a whole slew of hour-long stock footage of cute animals so here's my advice to you what i do that's not the whole numbing thing get your favorite album you know if you have spotify pull it up if you have a record player i have a record player so i got my got a record out put the record player on muted the tv and put on puppy party and it was such a treat to just listen to music <laughs> watch puppies and that's the weird thing which is it's like i really was like well i'll end up looking at my phone i'll look at social media i was transfixed by these puppies and the music was nice. It was fun to match up the music <laughs> and the puppies. Very, um, very, uh, what you call it, other side of the moon, Pink Floyd esque. So my weird thing is, um, put on some music, turn on Amazon Prime, and watch some pets, and numb out, numb out everyone. <laughs> that I I have Amazon Prime, which is actually going to come up in my pop culture thing. Um, but I have, have not found this section, so I will have to go searching for it. And the story that you just told reminded me that when I was in high school, the heat went out in our um, went out in our entire building, and it was very very cold. And we were all bundled up, and our history teacher put in the tape of the Yule log to <laughs> make us feel warmer as we were all shivering in history class. I just remember that was my that introduction such an academic thing to do <laughs> we will use the power of our minds and imagination for warmth. it didn't work oh. <laughs> oh, that's a nice is that a nice memory it's, it's it was one, yeah one it was ones that is funny and nice after after yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it, it just felt like, especially now that I'm an adult and I've been a teacher, it like, just feel like, you know what, I'm going to give the kids something nice. I'm going to give them the Yule log. Like, I, you know, I feel like it was a, it's a very thoughtful moment on that teacher's part. Cause it's he so couldn't see it. Did. It was behind him. It wasn't oh. warming him up. What a, tr- how selfless. It's <laughs> like when you find yourself turning into your parents. I think another thing I find sometimes is turning into like the old professor where you're like, oh my God, I've told that joke three times. Like, what's a little treat? What can okay. I do for them? What can I give them? What can I what keep, keep them going? I always bring candy. I, I'm that professor. It, Any it, holiday. Oh, it I never have- goes wrong. I have, like, when I thought of the community college, you know, there were people who were like 50 year olds, professionals. You bring in candy, they're all five. Everyone loves it. I did that when I taught in Australia. They lost their GD minds because no one, that's just such a, like, even think how I did it for Halloween and they have Halloween there, but it's very much like this is an American holiday and you'll go out and drink with your friends, but you don't do trick or treating with candy. And so like Halloween and candy aren't super associated. And so I brought in this huge thing of candy and the students were like, wait, this is for us. <laughs> can we eat it now can we take some for later and they just were filling their pockets and it was this madness so I, I like celebrating holidays it backfired on me once when I taught in England my students would be so mean to me to try to get out of class because on Thanksgiving obviously Thanksgiving is not a holiday in England and we still had class and they knew I was American and I also lived alone and all of my family was across the ocean and I wanted to be with them at Thanksgiving. And they start being like, is it Thanksgiving? Shouldn't you like not be here? Shouldn't you be with your family? Why are we in class? You should cancel class. And I just was like, that's the closest I've been to crying in the classroom. No, you know what? We're staying all night now. Get out your books. I was like, pop quiz. <laughs> Tell me what a turkey. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know how to make Thanksgiving sides. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, yeah, puppy party. Puppy party. All right. Well, my weird thing, I also, I struggled to come up with a weird <laughs> thing. Um, you may notice I, that, that you have a different view for me yeah, today. I'm actually in the same space. I have just flipped around. So my weird thing is that 
um, from the beginning of this pandemic, I had been trying to figure out how to hide the chaos behind me while I was like, you know, at first you're like, oh, this is just temporary. Cause I, you know, like before my kids left my house, which was a nice thing that occasionally happened. And now that doesn't happen anymore. So if I needed to like do a class, I could do it downstairs in the dining room with this nice background behind me. But now it's in my office, which is joined to my bedroom. So they can see my messy floor and dirty laundry and usually unmade bed behind me. And so for a while, I had like this hulking cardboard thing that I had hung a sheet over, which looked really nice in the actual, like, but it looked ridiculous from like actually being in my room, right? It was like, what, <laughs> what if you're, it's like. I always was fascinated by just the like built environment of that. I'm like, I can't understand. It looked good on screen, but I'm like, anytime someone would like pop in, I'd be like, what is that? What's happening? <laughs> So um, it eventually collapsed on me, which, you know, was probably okay? predict. I mean, it was very lightweight cardboard, so okay. which is probably why it collapsed. So, yes, I was fine. But it collapsed in the middle of like a live session. So it was like sliding oh. down. Like <laughs> it was, you know, at this point in the pandemic, everybody was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Your walls are melting. Uh, it's, it's fine. We expect Your hair's it. on fire. Yes. It's just, yeah. <laughs> Mute yourself. If your hair is on fire, mute yourself. We don't all need to hear that. All right. We've all so, had our hair on fire. Calm down. So then I just tacked a sheet to the ceiling behind me. Um, and that that was working fine. So I just had this gray backdrop behind me. But again, there's just a sheet hanging in the middle of my room in the real world where I'm interacting in this space. And then the other day I caught the sheet in my chair because I have a spinny chair and I pulled part of it down, not during a live session. This was just, you know, while I was working and I'm too short to reach to hang it back up. So I was like, man, I need to find a solution for this. And so I was thinking about ways to like mount a curtain rod on the ceiling because it just juts out from the ceiling, right? Oh. And then I'm like, oh, then I could have a curtain that I can like pull open or close so I don't always have this curtain. And like, I went so far as to purchase them um, and and had them like, you know, I bought them online. I had them coming. And then I was like, or I could just turn my desk around. <laughs> <laughs> There's a wall in your house? <laughs> So then I canceled them. I canceled the order. And then I, I have no spatial abilities, which is a thing that we've discussed before. And anyone who's ever met me knows. Neither of us can read a map. Cannot. So just, with us. Um, if my friend Wendy is listening to this, she makes fun of me so much. She's like, I don't understand how you exist in the world. I'm like, I have other skills, but figuring out where I am in space is not one of them. So I couldn't figure out if it was actually going to work until I had literally moved everything off of my desk and physically rearranged the desks, but it did. And so now the camera points at a wall. And not a my messy wall. bedroom. And blue. Yeah. It matches your glasses. And now that's that's just gonna and I'm like, oh well. So I guess my weird thing is how long it took me to figure out that there was an easy solution to this problem that I had been constructing <laughs> engineering cardboard things behind me, hanging things from my ceiling, about to spend a hundred dollars on hardware to I'm like, oh, I could just literally flip this desk around and that would fix this problem. Um so just just how long it took me to come to that solution is my I like. I think this says a lot about where we are right now. I'm like, I'm just watching puppies, and you're like, I have a wall in my house. (laughs) (laughs) So weird, so strange. Okay, so walls and puppies. Now we move on to pop culture. I teased my pop culture last episode. Oh, that's right. Because you had, you already had it, but you could, it broke your theme of cards. Yes, my card theme. <laughs> we talked about, this is not thematic, but this is, there's a lot of callbacks. We talked about Dumboing when you, out of oh. nowhere, cry. Big, wet, sobbing <clears throat> tears that are cathartic. Not a, not a little subtle sniffle. Oh, not a, oh one beautiful tear. No, this, no, no. This is Claire Danes and Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, that kind of kind of stuff. I had something that made me Dumbo, and it was 
if you will remember, do you remember Circle Jerk? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The um the thing that was like live theater that you watched, right? Yeah, it was my pop culture a while ago. Um, it was just I think I described it as like so problematic. <laughs> I don't know if I should be talking about it, but I loved it, and it was called Circle Jerk. So there you go. So from the people that made Circle Jerk, from the those who brought you Circle Jerk, comes Ratatouille, the TikTok musical. <laughs> have you heard of this phenomenon? No, no I have not. This I'm outside of the I'm outside of the Circle Jerk people target audience. I think my mother has heard about Ratatouille the musical. So, um, it's just there are two things that are so different, and yet the same people made them, which is fascinating to me. I think many more people have heard of Ratatouille the TikTok musical. And I can see how it would have a broader uh, potential fan base. Yeah, but I'm just so fascinated with how it got made. But that the people, I just want to reiterate, the people who made Circle Jerk, which is Fake Friends theater production, they produced this. They did the writing. They wrote it for the screen. And then Jeremy O'Harris, who I keep mentioning, who did Slave Play. So from the people who brought you Circle Jerk and Slave Play come Ratatouille, the TikTok musical. Basically, so I'm so happy you haven't heard about it at all. I know nothing. On TikTok. <clears throat> on tic- you know TikTok. I don't TikTok. About, about, ooh, I would say quite a while ago. Um, TikTok, you know, there's trends, they get into things. And someone put out a little video, and I'm going to play you the song. Remy the Ratatouille, the rat of all my dreams. I praise you, my Ratatouille. May the world remember your name. And so it went, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put, so we have the sound, the original, and I kind of, I'm going to show this to you. I'll edit this and I'll put in the actual audio, but it went from like that little song to... accompanied by <clears throat> photos of Ratatouille, Remy, his name is Remy, the rat from Ratatouille from the Pixar movie Ratatouille. And that's the song, it's this little song and someone put it out there, like Remy the Ratatouille, the rat of all my dreams. Did, and did this feel sincere in its original form? Like, was this a, a real homage to Remy or? This is something, I'm actually obsessed with this. This could have been a research tie-in about uh, several years ago, I started writing about um, like how people, how like bros, My Little Pony bros. Yeah, yeah, bronies. Bronies, where they really loved it, but it was ironic, but they did love it. And so there's this kind of fandom that I think TikTok's really getting on where it's nostalgic. So the people making this are younger than you and I. And so they're at a point where Ratatouille is something they watched when they were little. And so they mm-hmm. have a love and nostalgia of it. And yet- they're now re-watching it and realizing that it's really, have you ra- seen Ratatouille? I have. Um, it's been a while and I watched it like with my kids. So I like, it's such a product of its time when like Pixar, I mean, Pixar still gets all the Oscars, but it was a good Pixar movie, but it was like during a time period where the whole world was like, oh, foodie culture. Like yeah. when that happened and everything was about foodie culture and it became this um, shortcut for like any narrative. So they're just like, well, he's he's good at cooking and it's about cooking. And that's so much a part of this movie that I don't think it could be made anymore, but it's interesting. So I think it is a genuine sincerity, but also complete irony. And I was trying to write about this a while ago. I was like, this is coming. 
where it's both. It can be both. It can be a totally like sincere, loving irony. And that's what this is hitting on. So when this was made for TikTok, I think they were being funny. And then TikTok was like, yeah, that's so funny and random, Ratatouille. And they made Ratatouille a thing and people started making songs for it in short little TikTok clips. And it turns out that a lot of people who work on TikTok are super talented, but then also a lot of people who already work in the music industry or who work on Broadway are on TikTok. And when, because of the pandemic, it really hit a wall where they weren't doing a lot, right? Broadway is closed and it's not gonna be open for who knows how long. So it was a joke on TikTok for a long time that we should make a Ratatouille musical. And just hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of creators said, well, here's a song or here's who should play this person and here's a set design. And it became this really crowdsourced thing. And everyone's like, how funny would it be to have a Ratatouille musical? And then Jeremy O'Harris rolls up with his like HBO money and says, no, let's do it. And he got the people that made Circle Jerk. And I think everyone who talked about it said that they did it in about, in less than like three weeks. And it premiered on January 1st. So it was right around the holidays. They took the songs, like that little song, and they took all the TikTok creator songs and then gave it to um, Broadway producers, Broadway writers. Um, They had a full orchestra. And so they got all the professionals from Broadway, including actors. I'll list some of the actors in it. And then all the TikTok creators. And they had a true collaboration where they really worked together. And I think it's so hard to find things that are crowdsourced or collaborative with like high, low, like just random teenagers and Broadway stars, but they really did it and they did it right. And they knew the perfect tone. I just, I'm rambling, but if you told me that I would love and cry at Ratatouille the musical, I'd slap you in your face, but I love this and I'm gonna protect this thing with all of my heart. It, the reason they got to do it was they did it for as a fundraiser for the Actors Fund for out-of-work actors on Broadway. It raised, and it was a sliding scale of pay what you want, and it raised $2 million. It only aired one night, and then you had access to it for 72 hours. And so in that short amount of time, they raised $2 million. And again, we were talking about with Circle Jerk, this could really change accessibility and how people see theater. And I think that's cool. And also how you make money. That's what a full like opening week run of a Broadway show would bring in. And Broadway show tickets are so expensive. Right. Whereas this, you can pay $2, $5. So Ratatouille, the TikTok musical, they knew what they were doing. And I just encourage everyone, um, if you're ever, if you ever can see it, please see it. But they had Titus Burgess from The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and a lot of other stuff now. He played Remy and he refused. I love, he did not wear like rat makeup. He wore a very stately gray turtleneck and was like, yeah, I'm a rat. Just, it set the tone quick. He's like, take take my word for it, I'm a rat. And it was Titus Burgess singing his heart out. It just had everyone that was in it is on Broadway, Broadway stars. They had... Um, Andre DeShields was the food critic and he's amazing. He's like Tony award winning and I'm forgetting the name now of everybody. Adam Lambert was in it. Wayne Brady was in it and Wayne Brady wore so much rat makeup. (laughs) Um, Forevermore, if you want to know what it means to commit to a role, you have to watch Wayne Brady in this because it is silly. He is a rat singing about eating garbage, but he is in it. He's, he's going to do it. He's a professional. <clears throat> so I have that audio. That is Adam Lambert singing Rat's Life. We're your family. Rats. The greatest. <laughs> she is the rat's life for us. Little Remy, we don't cook food, let alone where we don't go. Rat's life for us. Grab a menu and follow me 
There's a hope of faith that I'd like you to see. So Remy, don't look so gloomy. This is a duty to grow. The right way of life is the way to go. I got an apple core. Which again was a song that a TikTok creator made like 10 seconds of because that's how long it is. And then they turned it into a full Broadway musical song. They built it out. And dancing all around him as the song plays is the full cast of Six the Musical, which is about um, all the wives of Henry VIII. And it's this really cool musical that was supposed to premiere in March on Broadway. And it's an all female cast and a young woman director was doing it and then it didn't get to ever air. And she actually, Fake Friends wrote it and produced it. She directed it, the director of the musical Six. So then they got everyone from that in it. And they're just dressed up as rats in their houses dancing. And it's very cool to see these professionals doing something so silly, but with all of their hearts. It just was so nice and it hit the tone right. It knew what it was. It knew what it was doing. I just learned in order to show you that clip, it is the full thing is on YouTube. I think it's probably not supposed to be. So go, go do it quick. Look at it. Go find the full thing on YouTube while you can. Um, so at the end, so what made me Dumbo? I, I, I know I am rambling because I loved this so much and I want everyone to watch it. I never thought in a million years I would be such a proponent of Ratatouille the TikTok musical because I also don't I don't didn't like the movie very much, but at the end they had um, all of the stars who sang the song singing alongside the TikTok creator who originally wrote it, and it was that moment where they were showing the TikTok creators watching the Broadway stars perform what they made. I just dumboed. I just, I scared my husband because it was like, this is nice. And I'm like, "Ah." (laughs) Um, he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, it's just so nice. It's just nice. There, it was, it came in a time where it felt like we were missing a lot of niceness in the world. And they have a frequently asked questions like, are the TikTok creators being compensated? And they're like, yes, we have paid them the rate that they would get as these Broadway professionals. And and then it raised $2 million for charity. So it's just lovely on all fronts. Nice. Then there's no way to like still pay for it. You would only have to, you could only watch Sadly, it. Sadly, no. I think you can go to their website and donate. So that's what okay. I would recommend for everyone to do. Go watch it on YouTube. And then donate to the Actors Fund on the Ratatouzical website. The ethical way to watch things illegally. Exactly. Because if you, you have not lived until you have seen Wayne Brady commit yeah, to his song about garbage. I would never, if I had not listened to you talk about it like this, it would never have crossed my mind to watch this. But I am intrigued to say the and least. And the songs are good. I've had them in my yeah. head. Yeah. No, it's very catchy. They're songs I sing in the shower. They're like shower songs. So that's my pop culture. And I just like, again, brought to you by Circle Jerk and Slave Play. (laughs) All right. Well, my pop culture thing is, um, so I've been using Goodreads to track my reading habits. And I really, so I'll, I'll kind of because my actual pop culture thing is pretty short. So I'll preface this by telling a bit of a story about how much I'm getting into just like, I, I like having stats about things. Like I really like, like, I really like my Fitbit. I know that it's, you know, <laughs> but whatever I'm, you can judge me if you want. I um, recently did the premium account so I can play Fitbit bingo. And it is just bringing so much joy into my life. I don't. What is Fitbit bingo? So like you get a grid and it tells you which pattern you're trying to get. And then it doesn't show you until the game starts, but then it shows you like, and it's based, it's personalized. So it'll be a challenge for you. So if you only get 6,000 steps a day on average, then your little circles are going to be, you know, within that range. But if you get 15,000, so you can play with somebody and it is fair for everyone. Right. And so um, you have to like, flip over the circles 
on the grid, but you have to earn enough steps or active minutes or whatever. Um, so for me, it's steps, active minutes, and miles to, to flip over those particular circles. And I just find it incredibly motivating in a way that like not like the, the first day I played or the first week I played it, I got like 15,000 steps four days in a row, which is like 50% more than I, like I normally get like 10,000. Like it's, so I just, it's fun. I like data. I like seeing I've never things. wanted a Fitbit before. And now that I hear this, Fitbit bingo. I'm like, I like, I like game, right? The gamification of things. I, I like it. Well, and then I found, um, because I, I've said on here before, I homeschool my kids and um, we play a lot of board games. And there's this whole community about game schooling, which is where you like, you use games to, because I mean, almost every board game has some sort of educational value. And a lot of them are like, literally like these are math skills these are reading skills um and so I have to track all of that for our records anyway and I found this really cool like board game app where you can track like which games you own and which and then it'll show you the stats like who most often wins this game what is the bet and like I love it I love it um so anyway so all of that to say that I am a, a heavy Goodreads user I really like Goodreads um but it is owned by Amazon which offers a set of problems um and a lot of people have been looking for alternatives to goodreads and it's also kind of glitchy like it, it just doesn't always work real well people especially have complaints about its like recommendations that its recommendations tend to be pretty mainstream and kind of just show you the best sellers rather than really help you explore the depths of what are what's out there and so um there is a black owned, a black woman has started an alternative to Goodreads called Storygraph, the Storygraph. And that is my pop culture thing for the day. It has not officially launched, but it you can go ahead and sign up to it. And as far as I can tell, it's fully functional. And it looks really similar to Goodreads. There is going to be a pro version that costs like $50 a year that's supposed to give you um, access to some extra features. And I don't, I, I have not done that because it, it has not launched yet, but um, you can, you can upload all of your Goodreads data into it. So you don't have to start all over if you already have Goodreads on there. And so right now I'm using both of them. I'm just going to see how this one works out. But the thing that I really like about the story graph in particular is that it lets you type in what you like in a book and it lets you, it's like free form. So you can put whatever terms you want. So if you wanted to say like, like, I think I put hopeful apocalyptic, like I really like, <laughs> I really like works that get very, very, very dark. And then at the end, they're like, but maybe we'll get out of it. You know, like maybe it'll be okay. Sounds like you love being an American, Michelle. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do I, do I really love it? Or is that just the best I'm going to get? Uh, who knows? Um, so the story graph has analyzed my data and says mainly reads fiction books that are reflective, informative, and dark typically chooses <laughs> slow paced books that are about 300 pages long. So it like, I need this data about myself. <laughs> oh, I love it. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it dives into your, your reading preferences. Um, and gives you your favorite genres. It says that my characteristics I appreciate the most are that they're character-driven, high-quality writing, and that you learn about the human experience and behavior. And like, it just, it goes into it in a way that Goodreads doesn't. And um, and a lot of its mission statement is that the recommendations will be more diverse and give um, authors that aren't always highlighted on mainstream platforms, more opportunity to get shared and to get recommended to people. And so that you get a better match. And it reminded me of like, do you remember? Just, you could go read the bestseller list and be right. like, okay, but that's not what you're here for. You want recommendations you can't find. So I am not always an early adopter, but I was a pretty early adopter of Netflix streaming. And do you remember how good it used to be at guessing what you wanted to watch? Like, yes. <laughs> I miss that. It was yeah. so good at it that it was kind of creepy. Like at some points I was like, is this, is this really happening? Or is this just a projection of my brain? Because sometimes <laughs> if, it would show you something. You'd be like 100% match for you. And you'd be like, no way. That doesn't sound like anything I'd ever want. But you'd click on it. And you'd be like, oh, you figured me out. You know me, Netflix. That is not the case anymore. Netflix just promotes itself. And it's a big. An auroribus of just. Blah, right. Blah. And it's fascinating to me. Have you noticed how Netflix has different images too? For like one movie or one TV show, they have about five different images. Yeah. To show you. 
And I think that says a lot about sometimes even more than the recommendations. Yeah. I didn't really realize that until I saw there was a movie called Set It Up, which is a very bad Netflix movie. It's a rom-com and it was recommended for me and it had Pete Davidson. Do you know Pete Oh, Davidson? yeah, yeah. Yes. It had a picture of him and that was it. That was the movie. I'm like, oh, I do like Pete Davidson. <laughs> I'll watch this movie. And I'm sure you haven't seen the movie because it's- I have not. But- He's in it for 40 seconds, maybe? <laughs> like, he might not even know he's in it. They might have just accidentally got some footage that they yeah. <laughs> Might be uncredited on IMDb, but they're like, no, we've noticed that you like- We know how to get you. Stupid, bro-y dude. <laughs> well, so I think the difference for me then is that like the old Netflix algorithm- felt like it was trying to help me. And the current Netflix algorithm feels like it's trying to manipulate me. And so right now, at least, I feel like Storygraph is trying to help me genuinely find books that I will enjoy. And so, um, and I don't, I mean, honestly, Goodreads, I haven't had a lot of problems with it. Like I, I've found good books that way, but I do, I mean, I just don't know that I need to give Jeff Bezos any more of my information and Except for Puppy Party. Except for Puppy Party. I'm sure I could go on YouTube and just type that in, but it feels different having it curated for me. It feels feels more um, weighty. There's just something about sitting... I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring it back to Puppy Party. <laughs> there is a difference between having your laptop in your lap on YouTube and sitting on your couch with it your is, on. It's different. The other one's an elevated, classy experience. So if there are puppies in that, I'm okay. Yeah. From watching YouTube puppies. And it's just sad. Exactly. We have to have some standards. Yes. One is sad. The other one is classy. (laughs) I've decided. Just now. So, oh, I'm, yeah. You're up. Amazing. I love, 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 love gamifying things. And I want to know. I want all my own data. I want to, I don't like. I'll, I'll give you, I know Fitbit's tracking me and telling somebody about my heart rate and different, whatever. As long as you'll give me my data, I don't care. Just love seeing it put back at me. Cool. So story called Storygraph? The, the Storygraph. Yes. Nice. Check it out. And that brings us to research. What have you got? Research. Um, Okay. So my research this week is kind of meta because it isn't something I researched. It's something that is helping me do research. Okay. I'll allow it. Thank you. (laughs) I I could scramble for something. Um, you can listen to me Wikipedia something for 20 minutes. So I the hmm, I don't know about you, but pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, I and still post, I'm just trying to learn and trying to fix things. I cannot work from home. And that's obviously a huge problem right now when I am everything is from at home. And so Back in my regular life, I would go to a coffee shop and I really, really absolutely needed my at least once a week, go to a coffee shop and I could just get work done much faster, much more efficiently. I left it till the end of the week and then everything I had been putting off, I would do. And what would at home take me probably five hours, seven hours would then take me an hour just because you're focused. And there's a variety of reasons for it. And I just kept at home trying to think, how can I recreate this? How can I make myself more productive and do better work and just get things done? Like putting emails off, putting things that will take me 10 minutes off, all those things that I would catch up on at the coffee shop or when I needed to get into the zone of writing, of like a, of, of a hard writing project and just be in the zone and give myself time for writing. And... Um, How do I get into that distraction-free place? 
and I have been struggling. I can't do it. I worked out of a tree house in my backyard all summer, and now it's too cold to be in a tree house. So I had someone suggest to me, thank you to Charlotte who did this. It is called the London Writer Salon. And the London Writer Salon started as kind of a group for writers, for professional and hobbyist writers. And it's a place that they could go to um, have open mics and share their work and do peer review and just have a community of writers. And it's in London primarily, but it's global because everything can be. And so um, a while ago, a few months ago, they, a lot of writers said, I work from coffee shops and I can't work now. What do we do? And they came up with what they call the London Writer Salon Writer's Hour. And they, all it is, it's so simple. And it makes me so interested in how our human minds work is that you go onto Zoom. They have, it's at 8 a.m. And they have an 8 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. Eastern time, 8 a.m. London mean, Greenwich, Greenwich mean time, 8 a.m. in England, and then 8 a.m. in Australia. So they have four hours every day. And then it's like the idea is you would wake up at 8 a.m. And for an hour, you log into the Zoom that they have. And the rules are you have to have your camera on because that accountability of the camera being on is the closest we can get to people looking at you in a coffee shop. It's the same level of anonymity, right? We're like, I don't know you, you don't know me, we're in this coffee shop, you can look at my face, I don't care. But just having those eyes on you in some way means you're not gonna like get up and go watch Puppy Party for two hours. And it's an hour, they started off, everyone puts in the chat, this is what I'm working on, they read a few, everyone cheerses with your coffee or your wine or whatever. And then you put your microphone on mute and you write and it's an hour. It sounds so simple. This has changed my life. Having, and I would say there's probably about a hundred and I do the Pacific time one. So it's 9 a.m. my time. And there's about 160 people every day. And it's just so great. And I really, I now, I get up at a good time. I exercise beforehand every day and I have to make it. I have to be dressed. I have to look somewhat presentable to be on screen. And then I start writing for an hour. And of course, we all have been there. Anyone who has to do a work from home or is kind of, does any sort of writing or work like that from a computer knows that if you get that first hour, that really can then go and go and yep. go. And that sets the tone. And so that, it just focuses me, I get it done. And then I end up working a lot more the rest of the day, more productively and more focused. And I love that's, it. That love sounds it. awesome. Well, and you said like, it sounds so simple. Like I very recently hired a virtual personal trainer because I've just been in such a slump fitness wise. Like just, I'll, I'll start something. I'll do it for three days. I'll be like, what's the point? I do feel a little more hopeful now. Like I think that, um, I did not realize how much Biden's inauguration was going to impact just my worldview. Cause I, I mean, anybody who knows me, like Biden was not my first choice or third choice or fifth choice. Um, he was double digits. Probably he was fair. I mean, there was a lot of people in that primary. He was, he was not near the top of that list for me. I remember Um, watching one of the debates (laughs) with you. You came to Colorado. We watched the debate together. And I think we like yelled, you don't have to do this old man. That was the debate where he just didn't even look like he wanted to be there. Like, but once he won it, he started talking about records and oh yeah, yeah. But once he won it, he turned it on. Like he, like it, the fire came back in his eyes. Um, but like I, I, so I won't even say that I'm like excited about Biden's policies in uh, in and of themselves, right? Like, there's not there's like, which isn't to say that I'm like, you know, I think he'll do good things. 
But when I was not expecting the response that I had, like I watched the inauguration, I was not expecting how like just the relief that I felt, but it was really because we're recording this. So the inauguration was yesterday. It was really today that it really hit me because I woke up and I checked the news every morning. Like, cause you, you've been like, and it's been some terrible breaking news story almost every morning, right? Like, oh, this many more people dead. This is on fire. This <laughs> scandal's breaking out. These, call. Yeah, right, this, just, yeah. just constant. And so, you know, I go in and I look at the news and I'm, I'm like, oh, like there's not some horrible scandal right now. And, oh, we're joining the World Health Organization again. Oh, we're getting back into the Paris Accord. Oh, we're going to put mask mandates on airplanes. And I'm like, I just, property mask when I, when I read those things, like, I can't even describe the feeling that I had because it, it wasn't even like a real conscious thing. But then suddenly I was like, oh, I probably ought to start thinking about like later this year. And I should probably ought to start thinking about like, what goals do I have? And like, I was like, oh, I, this is hope. I'm feeling hope. And it was just so, I didn't realize how much I was recognized. Right. Long lost friend. It's been so long. You're like, I don't, who are you? What are you doing here? Oh, your hope. (laughs) Like, um, but all that to say that I, before I was feeling that hope, I was like, I need something to like hold me accountable because like I'm not going to the gym and it's cold. I'm not going to start running outside when it's cold. I might be able to pick it up in the spring, but I'm not going to start a running habit in this weather. And like, um, so I found somebody local who is providing virtual like, and, and I can tell that she, cause she is a trainer. And so that she really wants to, to do this really well. And so she made this plan for me and she was like, I just wanted to check in with you and see how it's going. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And she's like, well, do you want to talk? I'm like, no, I'm good. And she's like, but you, because you know, like I'm, and I'm like, I honestly, I just need to know that somebody knows I'm supposed to do this and I will pay you to know that I'm supposed to do this. Like, this. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because if you know that I'm supposed to do this, I will do it. And that's like 97% of what I need right now. It's just like, it's almost like I used to invite people over. I mean, cause I wanted to see them, but also because then I would clean my house. Like, you know, you just, you just need a yeah. little accountability sometimes. And that's the I, thing. There's, there's <laughs> cleaning your house clean and then there's people over clean. Yeah. Different clean. They're different. And if, if there aren't people coming over, I'm not going to do that clean. Like, it's nope. just not, and we're not going to get there. Like, it's not gross, right? Like I'm not, you know, I'm doing yeah. the hygienic parts, but so all that to say that I understand big one for me. Just why London Writer Salon would would be a motivation, and I'm glad you found it. And I think that's yeah. smart. It's the motivation, and then it is. It feels like I feel corny, but it's like a, it is a nice community. It's completely free. Um, I think they they have like you can be a supporter. And they have like a Patreon where you can pay for things like, um, but none of those things are things I need to be productive. And um, it's just so nice. Everyone just cheerses and you see what everyone's drinking. And the other cool thing is though, I don't know if we're supposed to do this, but um, sometimes I do, if I need to just like stretch or rest my eyes, I'll look through it's like 150 people. So I'll scroll through the zoom screens and it is just so cool. These, it's so many different people. And I like Google searched four of them my first time. And there was someone who has like a really cool Substack blog that they're working on. There was an academic who I recognized and I admire. There was someone who I looked them up and they had done this amazing Ted talk about just cool things. And I was like, wow. And then I learned about that. And so it's everyone from someone who is working on a blog or wants to start poetry for a hobby to like, I'm working on my fifth novel. Well, and isn't it really validating to see people who you think like, who are, you're like, oh, they've got it figured out to see them needing these kind of little mental tricks and like hoops, like I mean, it just, it makes you real. I mean, it sounds very cheesy. It sounds like something from, you know, the 
back of a self-help book, but like you really do have to put yourself in a position to do the work and it's not just going to happen if you don't like it's, it's not, it's not how we're wired. Thinking about the queen's gambit a lot and how I really liked that show on Netflix. I liked a lot about it, but then, um, I was, there's just something about the, oh, they're instantly good at it or they're good at it with no work that I think I call it like the Harry Potter thing where someone's just special. They're just special for no reason. And people like to see that. And I was thinking through how she actually worked a lot, right? She was always, she was always researching and practicing and yeah. And I think, um, but the show, the takeaway and reviews I read of it. And when I talk to people about it, they're like, no, she's just so brilliant. She's just inherently good at it. And it's just a good reminder because I was like, no, she was, she was up all night. She made her mom turn the TV off because it was too loud. She had to study and it's just not sexy and you can't show it as much that work. And yet it's really good. It's really good to be reminded that even people, that everyone needs to work. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard for Maybe it's not hard. And and it's that kind of internal labor like you don't see it, right? Like it's not something in that I don't yeah. know. There's something interesting about that performative nature of it, right? That like, let me go be seen in a coffee shop, even though it is not by anyone who even knows what I'm doing. Like I literally could be watching puppy party on YouTube right. and they wouldn't know. Right. But like, I know what, and, and this performative aspect of it, this being, being seen part of it, it does, it just changes it. Like it, yeah. It, it just, that just made all the world of difference. It was amazing. And I cannot, yeah, if anyone is struggling with focus and wants a coffee shop badly right now, it's the London, London Writers Salon. And like I said, they have four different time zones. I know there are some people that do, who are professional writers for a living that do all four and that's their work day. They can just go boop, boop, boop yeah. and you're done. Which is, yeah, it's cool. So. My research thing is that, do you know what a union suit is? Oh no, is that a butt flap? Okay, so they they turned into the butt flap suits, right? Okay, I know them as the onesie with a butt flap for adults. So that is not what they were initially, they initially did not have the butt flap and they were initially a lot more delicate. Um, so to, I read today at Smithsonian Magazine, um, I read about the feminist history of the union suit because, so there was this, let me make sure I get the right term for it. As you look, I'm just going to say I'm fascinated because um, my husband might have requested one for Christmas, which was kind of random. He just wanted one. It's really feminist and of him. Very feminist. I was wearing a lot of like rompers and he's like, those look comfy. So I did a lot of research to try to find a good union suit. Hanes. Hanes was the best and cheapest and it was great. Is he is he happy with it now that he has it? Very happy. I cannot. There were ones that were like $100. Why? 15 bucks. That's how I feel about, um, this is a a side note, but at the, I needed more, I needed more sweatpants, quite frankly, because why I'm not putting on jeans, right? Like, but then I went and looked at like women's joggers and I'm like, I'm not paying $60 for a pair of sweatpants. Oh, you're in trouble once they're calling them joggers. That's already, oh, bad. (laughs) But if you buy men's joggers from Target, one size smaller than you would wear in the women's sizes, they actually have pockets that fit things and they fit perfectly is my experience. Good life tip. So in the 1850s, there were feminist activists who called themselves dress reformers and they were fighting against the restrictiveness of women's dresses, um, particularly corsets, which were would literally make people faint, but also just like they couldn't move around, right? So there's a quote. Um, let me see if I can find the, the quote where it was from Elizabeth Cady Stanton who said, women's dressed, how perfectly it describes her condition, her tight waists and long trailing skirts deprive her of all freedom of breath and motion. No wonder man prescribes her sphere. She needs his aid at every turn. He must help her upstairs and down in the carriage and out on the horse, up the hill, over the ditch and fence, and thus teach her the poetry of dependence. 
And so, like, there was I'm the poetry of dependence. Poetry of dependence. So there were literally dress reformers, and they would call themselves dress reformers, and they were putting forward all of these clothes, clothes that were less restrictive and more freeform, and and in a very literal way would give women more freedom, but. They faced tons of backlash, especially from um, men who were that had like control of journalism, right? So they would talk about how ugly it was. They would talk about they would call it cross dressing. They, I mean, even like literally um, called it insane. Like said that it was a, a mental disorder for women to want to wear these things. And so, um, the second wave of feminist activists got more clever about it, or more subversive about it. And these were Northeastern and Midwestern club women, mostly. So they were also a little more elevated in society. And they, in the 1870s, so this is about 20 years after the initial um, dress reform stuff started, they decided to try to push dress reform into undergarments because people wouldn't see those, right? So they could still look like the the women they were supposed to look like on the outside, but they didn't have to wear these terrible corsets and the weighty petticoats that made it so hard to walk around. And okay. so the initial creation of the um, union suit was a ladies undergarment that was part of this dress reform movement. And so they were um, doing this more, like if you wear this underneath your clothes, then you don't have to put down on these weighty petticoats and you don't have to wear the corset. And, you know, so there was this whole push for it. And then it did become, um, but it's just, it's really fascinating because there were all these different ways of sort of pushing it forward. And it's especially interesting to me that they started trying to sell them and dress reform shops, but they were so ugly that like people would literally cross the street rather than look at them in the windows. Like, (laughs) and so the way that they became popular was through custom orders where people would sell the pattern for women to make themselves. And so it was this like subversive way to get more freedom while still looking like you were playing the part and you didn't have to go buy it in public where someone would see you getting it. You know, you could get, make it at home and secretly have this freedom Ooh. under your dress. Um, so I, I don't know. I was just, cause I definitely associate it. Like you were like the butt flaps. Like I associate I with the very, so, I mean, they are ugly. <laughs> Why are they called union suits? Um, does this thing tell me that? Let me see. One of the first union suits was patented in 1868 and called the Emancipation Union Under Flannel. Oh, because it's because it's one piece. Because it's union. union. I was wondering if it was like a Civil War thing, and then I always wondered that. Yeah, because it's a it's a united piece of undergarment. Emancipation Union suit. Oh, I can't wait to tell to tell him next time you're wearing your Hanes butt flap outfit, you're actually. A feminist freedom fighter. Yes, you are. Get us out of those corsets. Okay. Um, So, but the thing about that that I wanted to connect it to was that I was thinking about all of the fashion stuff that's come since the inauguration, um, especially Bernie's gloves. (laughs) So, mittens. Oh, Bernie's mittens. Because reading this story, it felt so, so really, so like old fashioned, right? Like how ridiculous that you would care what women's underground, but like we still put restrictive clothing on people and, and not, I mean, women more so for sure. Like women's clothes are definitely still more restrictive than men. As a parent, it drove me crazy to see the clothes. Like as I was trying to buy for my very, very very active daughter when I would try to buy her clothes and there'd be these tiny little shorts. I'm like, she can't wear that because she needs something that's going to cover her because she's going to be literally climbing up that wall mm-hmm. and that tree and through the air and like jumping from that tree to that tree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Has to be very stretchy. And the, stretchy and the shoes, like little girl's shoes just break so easy. I'm like, I can't buy five pairs of shoes a day. You're going to need to get like, so there's still these definite, like. Not to mention pockets, as we've already mentioned. Right, right. Can't fit anything. But I was just thinking about how all the memes with Bernie's mittens, like, you know, men are also expected to wear clothing that is not very practical for the sake of appearances. Yeah. And, you know, like, it's cold out there. 
but because oh a lot of the memes were, I want to pretend I'm this and it's a picture of Michelle Obama and her amazing outfit. And then, but I know in my heart that I'm a Bernie and it's him and his, yeah, like, yes. <laughs> so I, I was just, so my research thing, I guess, is the feminist history of the union suit and its connection to how today we still use these expectations of how clothing should look versus how it should function in order to create some boxes. All right, it's time to make some connections. So we have, just to remind you, our weird things are. I know I always say it's hard. I think this might be the hardest one yet. And we've We've had dead rats in the mix before. Yeah, I I um I feel like I can connect like four of these really well, but then the other two, well, we'll see. All right. So, for our weird things we had um puppy party, puppy party and turning my desk around. <laughs> for our pop culture things we had for pop culture we had Ratatouille the TikTok musical and Storygraph an alternative to Goodreads. And then and finally, for research, we had the London Writer Salon Writer Hour. And the feminist history of the union suit. I feel like we talked a lot about, for a while, that my ears stuck up at was, like, accountability. That feels important. That definitely know. was in our research thing. Like, our research thing, I don't know. We have data, like... I think I cried at Ratatouille the Musical... Because maybe more, this is a stretch, more and more um, people just don't get credit for their ideas. It seems like really big businesses, you know, in big fast fashion will steal from Etsy makers and there's nothing they can do. And it's just like, be accountable or someone takes someone's idea on Instagram or a celebrity does. And it's like, just at the person who did it. Yeah. It doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. And just hold them. Yeah. It. And so I think for me, I had this fear with the Ratatouille musical that it would be more of that. They would be like, yeah, yeah, TikTok. But now we've, Broadway has it now. We've got it. But they really promoted that. Yeah. It was truly a collaboration and it made it better, right? When you let more people into the room, different voices that are in different points in their lives and careers. You still, I think, need the guiding hands of the professionals who do this for a living, but it just was so special because they let more voices in and treated them with accountability. Is the, does this work? I think this works for all of them. Things we didn't know we needed. Things we didn't know we needed. Oh, yeah. Things that we, yes, yes. That's a great fortune cookie. But that is things we didn't know we needed. I didn't know I was so in need of complete brain turning off that even stupid TV was too much. I've just been binging the new girl on Netflix. And even that, I got home and I was like, this is too much. This is a plot. I can't can't handle it. And yet I didn't know what I needed was music and puppies. And it was exactly what I needed. And then you had your my you desk. No, you didn't know what you do. It was just turning your de- a wall. You right. needed. I a just wall. needed a wall. <laughs> and then I needed something nice. Like I that crying was cathartic because I needed that. Like I needed something nice. And then you needed a better way to track extrapolate people. my own data from my brain and feed it back into my brain. I needed accountability. I needed um, a way to get my writing on track. And that, it was just, it's things, simple things you didn't know you needed that came at just the right time. And the union suit, right? The union suit, right? Like this idea, especially since they had to kind of hide it, right? Like the the one that was successful wasn't the like, we're going to change all of our clothes. It was like, we're just going to stop wearing these terrible underwear. Um, Because the end point wasn't that. The end point was we won't won't want dresses. And so you didn't know you needed that weird, ugly, butt flap stopgap. Yep. I know they didn't have butt flaps originally. Very hung up on the butt flap today. (laughs) It is, I mean, I would say in its modern day iteration, that is the defining quality. So that's fair. Yes. This is a defining quality. The butt flap. It's just funny. It also makes it very difficult to model. I cannot tell you everyone. And that fits in too, in a way, because I found it, Hanes, 
just a simple cheap Hanes one that I needed when I was like stuck in a sea of expensive, I don't know, fiber fleece union suits. It's very hard to show that it has a butt flap that opens, I've learned, in a way that is suitable for all audiences on a website. Well, there's it's, a lot of um, like just funny photos. You're like, no, it opens, but we're not going to show you the butt of the model. It's really interesting that you say that. And some did show you the butt of the model. Ooh, and you're like, maybe you went too far there. But it's interesting because they talk about in this in this article, which we can put in the I'll I'll send to you so we can put it in the show notes. Um, that it eventually became a, a male a male staple, right? Like it, it became very um, associated with menswear, and it still is today. Um, but or I have to find this line where they say it. Oil paintings of men bending over suggestively in their onesies ran in the Saturday evening post, bringing an unexpected punch of sex appeal to the previously homely piece. Ooh. ooh. Give me. So, so the union suit was ugly when women wore it, and then when men got a hold of it, it was sexy. sexy. Look at me and my well, let's sexy. Let's cut the butt like, out of this, this, boys. It shows an ad from one that, um, see the knit crotch, smooth, single thickness <gasps> of cloth throughout the crotch, the classiest garment made. Oh, man. Oh, all throughout the crotch. Not just parts of it. Throughout. Throughout. Out the crotch. Okay, we had <laughs> so long. we had a very good like conclusion, and now we're gonna end it with five minutes of butt flap talk. So, which maybe you didn't know you needed. You listeners. didn't know. You Here you are. Circle just to finish it up for you. End it on our fortune cookie. Our theme of the day was things you didn't know you needed, and I hope that you all find something that you didn't know you needed this week. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Bye. I I keep notes like I have an idea. Like this might be good. Um, I don't know what this means. I'm looking at my weird things and it says, my legs are as long as Grant's. <laughs> that one was never a winner that got picked. I don't know when I don't remember that. Well, now it's recorded so you can put it in an outtakes if you want to. Uh-huh.